Good morning, Cornerstone Church. How are you doing this morning? You look good. And then you say, Joe, you look good. All right. <laughs> um, it's good to be here this morning. I'm Joe. This is my wife, Ronan, right here on the second row. We're your kids and family pastors here at the church. We've been on staff for about six weeks now, and uh, we are so honored. I can hear the kids. I felt that on the stage, whatever music they're playing. Um, it's such an honor and privilege to be on staff here at the church. We've known Pastor Sean and Lisa for several years. Um, we've been student pastors and working with families for about 10 years here in Kansas City. We pastored a church in the Westport area. And as soon as I found out that you were looking for a kids pastor, um, immediately I sent in my resume and I've been hounding Pastor Sean and Lisa until they would hire me. So I wore them down. Um, no, it really is an honor and privilege and really to get to know the staff and to have the opportunity to work with them as well. Um, there's a scripture verse, I think in one verse really explains my heart for um, a ministry to, to children and families. And I have a feeling it's really, it's just a parent's heart. David, near the end of his life, um, he's king. He's accomplished so much, won so many battles, um, won so much land. Um, he's had to defend land. And um, you think of the great call on his life uh, and then the anointing, but then the whole process. I mean, just amazing the process that he actually became the king. Um, and here in this beautiful chapter in Psalms, it's really a worship and a prayer to God. But there's one verse um, that the first time I hit that, I'm like, oh my goodness, um, God, that's my heart. And listen to this in Psalms 71, verse 18. He says, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, until I declare your power to the next generation. I mean, what a beautiful heart there. God, I don't want more land. God, I don't want to conquer more people. God, I, I don't need to do this or that. Give me the opportunity to declare your goodness to the next generation. And that is exactly our heart with ministering to your kids, is every week when we get up, and there's a wonderful team down there doing it right now, just to stand up and declare how good our God is to the next generation. And we take it very seriously, and it is truly an honor to minister to the children and families here at Cornerstone Church. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. Um, I'm not that old school. I know you're probably going to your phone to pull up Luke chapter 5. I'm going to talk about grace this morning, and we're going to be in verses 17 through 26. I just titled today's message, The Scandal of Grace. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says, one day Jesus was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. And then tucked back here in the last part of that scripture verse, it says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Verse 18, it says, some man came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on his map through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teacher of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a true statement right there. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? 
Verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, go, get up, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Tell me if you've ever heard this phrase before. I've heard it. I remember hearing it growing up. And maybe you're talking about somebody, maybe it doesn't go to church with, with you anymore. Maybe somebody you haven't seen in a long time. And the response somebody says is, well, they fell out of grace. Have you heard that statement before? They're like, ah, oh, Bob, you know, he just fell out of grace. And I used to hear that as a kid, and it scared me. Because I'm like, oh my goodness, what is that thing you do to fall out of grace? Because I don't want to do that. Like, how do you fall out of grace? And, and I just, it wasn't like a fear, like I woke up every day, like, God, don't let me fall out of your grace. But from time to time, I would think, what is it that you do that makes you fall out of grace? It was as if, like, as a child, like, grace to me was this little canoe in the great storm of the ocean. Like, grace is this little wimpy thing out there, like, you got to just do everything right, you got to hold on right, you got to move the oar right, or you're going to tip and you're going to fall out of grace. Like, we wouldn't say that about the love of God, Right? The love of God is this little wimpy thing out there in the storms of life, so don't mess it up. Like, we wouldn't, I hope you don't say that, do you, church? No, we wouldn't say that. No, I mean, God's love is amazing, and God's grace is amazing as well. But here's the thing about grace. Grace isn't grace unless there's a scandal attached to it. I mean, that's what kind of scares us about grace. Grace isn't grace unless there's scandal. And these verses at the beginning here, Jesus is teaching, this is very early on in his ministry, okay? And all the teachers of the law are there. There's doctors of the law. The Pharisees are there. But it's so early in his ministry, they're not there to criticize him. They're not there to stone him. They're there out of curiosity. And he has this huge crowd. And at this point in scripture, we know two things about Jesus. And everybody really knows two things about Jesus. Number one, he's a great teacher. I mean, ever since a boy, he could start to teach about his father. And people were just amazed. No one teaches the scripture like this. And the other thing about Jesus is he heals people. And these two things cause this overwhelming crowd. Like so far in this service, Jesus is teaching and he's ready to heal somebody. I mean, it's an awesome service. There is no scandal. Jesus somehow, every time he does this, he's teaching to the multitudes. And you're like, yes, this is awesome. And we just keep reading. He's about to do something. He's about to say something or do something. And you're like, oh, that's scandalous. And people are stirred. And you're like, what, what did he say? You have to think the disciples are like, oh, my goodness, this guy is going to be amazing. Like, if he could keep teaching like that, he's going to be huge. Like, if this guy, Jesus, keeps teaching these things out of, out of the word, I mean, he's, who knows what he can do? Like, he's going to be on TV like, he's amazing. I mean, he'll have, like, a multi-site church, right? If he keeps teaching like that. And then you add in, like, he heals people too. Like, who can do that? Like, he teaches amazing, and he heals. What a great. And then he has a way of kind of saying or doing something. And here so far, there's, this story so far has nothing to do with grace, right? It's about teaching. 
And then it says at that verse, which is very important, it says, and the power of God was present to heal the sick. Like, that was an electric atmosphere. It's, it's electric so far in that atmosphere. And then you have this guy who's paralyzed. He can't get into the meeting. Four of his friends grab him on a mat and carry him to the service, and they can't get in. They can't get in. I have to imagine at that, that point, some of them are like, well, we tried. They turn to that guy, and I'm sure he's kind of feeling as well. Guys, we tried. You know, let's go home. There was no room for this hurt man because the church was full. And I want to tell you something this morning. You got to hear my heart on this. And I know it's the heart of Pastor Sean and Pastor Lisa. No matter what you're going through, there's always room. There's always enough grace, no matter what you're going through. Listen, if you come here this morning and your marriage is really struggling, there's room for you in this house. If you're here this morning, you're like, I, I just, I don't know what to do with my kids. Number one, join the club. And then number two, there's room for you in this house. There's room for you here. Maybe you're here today and you don't know why you're here. And now that you see I'm up here, you really wish you weren't here. You're like, I don't even know if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't know what I'm doing here on a Sunday morning. Listen to me. Listen to my heart. There's room for you in this house. And maybe you're full of doubts. You think the whole thing's a sham and we just want your money. Listen, there's room for you in this house. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're hurt, there's room for you. As a matter of fact, this whole service, this whole thing, this entire property, I'm sure as they were pouring the concrete, there's a couple of men saying, man, people are going to get saved on this campus. People are going to encounter Jesus Christ. Everything we do as a church is to worship God and to introduce people to Jesus Christ. I mean, there is room for you. There is room for them. Whoever that is, there's room. If you feel like you can't get in or you don't get it, that's okay. There's room for that. And it says that what they did as they went up to the roof. Now, here's the thing. I believe that grace isn't grace unless there's a scandal attached to it, but I also believe that every scandal needs to have grace attached to it. Every scandal, I think, demands grace. You look at, it's even hard to watch the news more and more. Everything going on in, in France, in Turkey, here in our own country, race tension, everything that's going on. And you can, you can look at all these things and we can say, man, things are so unsteady right now. Things in our culture, things spiritually are so unsteady and you can feel very uneasy. You can feel like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Like, I, I don't know what to do. This is, it's so unsteady. Listen to me, church. I believe that this is our holy moment. This is our moment. There's scandal everywhere. Everywhere, all over the world, there's scandal. So let's attach grace to it. When there's scandal, it's the time for the church to say, oh my goodness, this is our chance. Grace. When there's people around you who offend you and make you mad, and maybe, hopefully, they're not here this morning, but that person, it's our opportunity to say, I will stay off Facebook until I'm ready to shout grace. God's grace is sufficient. He is our only hope. 
I mean, I know you're good on Twitter, but you're not going to save the world through your Twitter feed. It is only God's, I tried, it doesn't work. Most people just get mad, then you have to go back and delete it or delete your comments after you made it. It is only by God's grace. These four guys are so determined, they climb up on the roof and they start tearing the roof apart. So go back to the story. So Jesus is teaching, it's amazing, and they can sense like something's up. Like, like something's up in this room. Like he's teaching and we feel like this presence. Like people are, somebody's gonna get healed today. Like the power is present. It's amazing. And everyone is staring at Jesus and hanging on every word. Like I imagine if a baby cried during that service, they'd be like, you better get that baby out now. That's Jesus. You don't have to take your baby out if it cries. I'm a kid's pastor. I better say that right. <laughs> like, yeah, that's Jesus. If your kids are acting up, I mean, you don't take your eyes off. You're just swinging. Like, shh, it's Jesus. Like, it's an amazing atmosphere. It is phenomenal. And then somebody's like, do, do you see some dust, like, falling from the ceiling? Shh, it's Jesus. Like, you don't want to be called out by Jesus. Like, if Jesus is teaching, you don't want him to say, hey, row three, be quiet, please. You imagine that? It's amazing, but then something is distracting. And it gets to the point where they're like, there's, there's people up there. And at some point while Jesus is teaching, everyone is now distracted. Like Everyone is no longer looking at Jesus. They're no longer listening to Jesus. They're staring at people tearing the roof apart. Like, I wonder if Jesus is just like mumbling at this point. Or maybe he's just repeating himself over and over and over again. Because nobody's listening. They're all staring like, what is going on? And these four guys, they pull the roof open. And they drop this man down. You ought to highlight these next words in your Bible. And they laid him right at the feet of Jesus. Our mission is never more clear than when we take broken people and present them right to the feet of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's our mission. That's our mission, isn't it? To take broken people. And apparently in this story, somebody who didn't even want to be there and drop them right to the feet of Jesus Christ and say, here's your Savior. Here's your Lord. Here's your, here's your lover right here. And as they're dropping them in, everyone is staring. And then Jesus does something very unusual. And I think it's in Matthew and Mark. It said, a man, they say, son. But here in Luke, he says, man. He says, man, your sins are forgiven. And as soon as Jesus says that, like everybody gets whiplash because they stare at Jesus like, what did you just say? Like here was the scandal, right? You're tearing up somebody's home. And we're pretty sure it's Peter's home. Peter's the guy who cut somebody's ear off. You don't mess with Peter. So they're tearing up Peter's home. That's a scandal, right? It's a scandal. It's like, that's Jesus teaching. What are you doing? I mean, everyone's distracted from being able to see him. That's a scandal, right? And then Jesus outscandals those guys. As soon as everyone's staring, like, what a scandal. What are they doing? All of a sudden, they're like, what did he just say? And they're thinking in their hearts, he has lost his mind. He is crazy. Jesus takes the scandal off of this man and puts it on him. He points that scandal right at himself. 
I love the Christmas story, but my favorite characters in a Christmas story are the shepherds. So it's like they're doing their thing, and then you have this angel show up, and like they only have the Old Testament at this point, and so they think when an angel shows up, somebody's going to die. That's all they know about God, right? So they, they're all running and hiding, and they're like, I'm mean, not... I just got to hide. We just, we just got to get away. And this is the very first thing said about Emmanuel, okay? What the angel's about to say, Jesus is born in a manger. This is the very first thing said about Jesus on earth. This is a precious verse right here, what the angel says. The first thing, the first two words are, fear not. Humanity, don't fear your God like that anymore. Adam and Eve started that nonsense by running. Humanity, stop running away from God. Get the shame off of you. Fear not, I bring you good news and great joy, which seems really redundant. I have good news and great joy in the last part of this verse. Oh my goodness. And it's for everyone. It's for everyone. These are the very first things said about our Messiah. Don't fear him like that. Don't run from him. Don't hide from him. Do the opposite. Run to him. Run to him and tell everybody. Tell everybody about him. Your shame is gone. Your fear is gone. Your pain is gone. Your brokenness is gone. You are whole. You are healed. And we love to say that in church. Go say that at work, though. You're like, whoa. Say that in your neighborhood, though. It's like, they don't mow their grass right, though. (laughs) They don't mow it enough, or they... I will never forget, just a few weeks ago, I was at a marriage conference here in the church, and this young couple came up on the stage. They wanted to share their brokenness, and they came right up on the stage young couple, it looked, from appearances, um, I mean, they were so cute. Their, their outfit looked perfect. They looked healthy. They looked successful. And they come up on this stage, like right where I'm standing. And nobody made them do this. Nobody asked them to do it. And I kind of wanted to ask them to get off the stage when they started to do it. Just too much. And he turns and starts confessing that he's been having an affair. And she just, she already knew. They had talked about it before. We didn't know. And they're, they're just completely, I mean, she's just falling apart on the stage. At what point I'm like, get off the stage. We're not making you do this. And I'm thinking, go find a room. Like sit down and talk to a counselor. But don't do that up here. What are you thinking? You know? Because it was a scandal in the middle of the scandal. We love to tell our testimony like way back then. We don't like to share our scandal that's today, right? And I think we treat people like that. It's like, I love you if your scandal's back there. But your scandal's in my face and I can't take that. I don't mean to be too hard with you Sunday, this morning like that. But they're... It's, their scandal is right there. And they're up here and they're sharing their scandal. And, and she's like, I don't know that I can stay with him. I, I don't, 
I don't know that I can do this. At which I'm like, amen, that's good. Get off the stage. <laughs> I mean, it's just so hard to watch. It's disturbing. And they're just completely broken. And then they start talking about the brokenness in their past. They talk about everything they've been through. And then she just, it just, she just kind of shares. I don't even think she meant to do it. But she says, I aborted my first baby. And they share this. And then they just, they're like falling apart. Not only, I mean, like physically, they're falling apart in front of us. It is horrific to watch. But something happened. Something in the middle of that, like, he just kind of like, patted her hand once, like, hey, I know this is hard, hang in there. And when he did, she kind of reached forward and grabbed on his hand, and at what point, he kind of just put his arm around her, and I saw her put her arm around them, and at the end of this, in, in a matter of minutes, they were hugging each other, apologizing to each other, asking God to forgive them, and they're holding each other right here, and they turn to walk off the stage, right? And so they turn and look, And everyone in that room, including me, we jump up on our feet and we start applauding and cheering them, saying, way to go. Yes, yes, yes. And it was in that moment, after I sat down and I had my head down and I said to myself, my goodness, what can my God not do? What can God not do? Their scandal just needed grace. I mean, everything they were doing was screaming, where's grace? And the people that make us so mad are really screaming, where's grace? I mean, people who behave in a way that's offensive, they're screaming, I need grace. They're doing things that drives us nuts. They're in your family. Maybe they rode in your car. They're doing things, but it's all saying, I need grace. I mean, everything we do is give them grace. Everywhere Jesus went, he found the person that would make the crowd turn on him. He found the lady that wasn't supposed to do that, and he said, grace. It got to such a thing that people would put scandal at Jesus' feet. Like they would say, I know what we're going to do. We're going to trap him by giving him something really scandalous. Really? You're going to take that lady. Right as Jesus is coming, you're going to throw her out and say she has to be stoned because of the law. It's a scandal. And Jesus says, grace. Grace. He just turns to her and says, go and sin no more. The thing about in our story about this paralyzed man He wasn't there to be forgiven. He wasn't there to get saved. He never asked for that. I don't think as they were lowering him down, now I don't have scripture, but I don't think he was begging for forgiveness and to be saved as he was being lowered down. We don't have that in the story. He's there for one reason, and that's to be healed. And it says the power was present to heal him, Why didn't Jesus heal him? Why did Jesus say, your sins are forgiven? And listen, Pharisees always expose scandal. But Jesus covers scandal. He doesn't cover it up. He doesn't have to do that. He covers it. He said, what is your brokenness? 
I got that covered. What is your pain? I've got that covered too. What makes you think you don't deserve me? I've got that covered. My blood covers that. And it covers that. And it covers that. So why don't we boldly go before his throne and say, God, you are my God. So Jesus then, knowing what they're thinking, he asks a question. And many of us don't know the answer to. Knowing what they're saying, he says, what's easier to do? Say, be healed? Or to say, you're forgiven? And we're both like, impossible. <laughs> both of them. I mean, really, either one. To say, be healed or be forgiven. I think here's what's special about that. It already said the power was present to heal. Isn't it beautiful to see somebody that's healed? But we all know, we all have stories of you prayed for somebody and they weren't healed. You prayed for them and you say, I don't, I don't know why they weren't healed. I don't know why they didn't get better. And then we prayed for people and they are healed and it is amazing. And on this day, it says the power was present to heal. Like sometimes people get healed and sometimes they don't. I remember this bothered me when I was young and in Bible school. And I was talking to my father-in-law, he's a minister, and I said, I got to figure this out. I, I don't understand why people aren't healed. And he's like, Joe, come back to me when you figure that out. He's like, it doesn't make sense sometimes. On this day, the power was there to heal. But here's what I want you to know about grace, forgiveness. The power is always present to be forgiven. It's always there. It's not like you present yourself to God and say, God, I need your grace. And he's like, I'm not doing the grace thing today. That's not your God. He takes you anytime, anywhere, for any reason, grace. That's his grace for you. And you might think, Joe, you got to be careful. You can't make grace seem cheap. Like you can't cheapen grace by saying grace, grace, grace to everything. I get that. But I also remember the price of grace. The price of grace was a scandal of God coming to earth. The price of grace was him being born in a town where people said that's darkness. Nothing good comes out of there. And the price of grace was him growing up in complete obscurity for 30 years. The price of grace was for three years he did awesome miracles and taught the word, and healed people and set them free. But then next scripture, he's running for his life. And then he's crucified completely blameless on a cross. And then he's buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rises, healed and whole, and he ascends to heaven. And ever since that moment, men and women all over the world, for generation after generation after generation, have laid down their life so that the next generation could know how good their God is. Listen, grace isn't cheap. Some of you have prayed God's grace for years in this auditorium. Some of you come every single morning at 6 a.m. to pray God's grace in our community. We know it's not cheap. We know there's a cost, a price we can't even pay. But we say, get the scandal off of them. The scandal is the cross. The scandal is the cross. It takes the scandal right off of the unsaved. It takes the skin off whatever they've done. It rips that scandal off and it puts it back on the cross where it belongs. And you look back at them, what it says at the end of verses there. It says, then everyone sees this man now, right? Because he's up and he's rising and he's walking. 
But look at this. At first, Jesus says, get your attention off of him. And then at the end, Jesus presents him. And as he presents them, everyone is amazed. And they're rejoicing and praising, saying how good God is. I remember Jace, if you don't mind me telling a story. Jace's first concert. Jace is my 13-year-old son. He's right on the front row. I'm going to tell a story about the first concert that I took him to. And I was so excited, so excited. I heard about this concert, and I'm like, I got to take my son to go see them in concert. Um, and I hope the tickets don't cost too much. It was so exciting. Do you guys want to know what concert it was? it was? It was so much fun. Never forget it, right, buddy? So much fun. We went and saw the Veggie Tales. <laughs> There's some real cred for you with your friends right there. The Veggie Tales was the first concert he had ever went to. And so I'm buying these tickets, and at the end of the transaction, like we're almost done, the person behind the counter says, oh, sir, if you pay 10 extra dollars, you can be a VIP. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, sir, you pay $10 and you're a VIP. I didn't even ask like what that meant. I was too excited. I was like... There it is. I mean, I got to buy my way into being a VIP. Yes. I've never been a VIP for anything, ever. And I said, Jace, we're VIPs. And he says, what's a VIP? (laughs) Jace, very important person. We're so important. So the whole ride home, I'm like, Jace, what's up, VIP? Like, Dad, are you going to keep doing that? (laughs) I was so excited. I'm like, you could tell your mom we're VIPs. Don't tell her I paid extra $10, though. (laughs) And I was so excited. Like, I'm like, Jace, one week, we're VIPs. It's one week away. It's two days away. And then the day of it, I'm just, this is amazing. Like, it's, like, I would take my ticket out and stare at it all the time. Like, it really says VIP access. That's amazing. Have you guys ever been a VIP? Next time VeggieTales are in town. I mean, it was it's amazing. Like, I'm a VIP. And it no longer became about taking Jace. It was all me at that point. I'm like, I'm a VIP. He's like, Dad, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going too. So the day of it, we go. We, we're like, we're pulling into the parking lot. And there's ushers in a parking lot kind of directing people. And I roll my window down. And I'm like, hey, I'm a VIP. Like, sir, keep moving. Move your car. <laughs> and, you know, we park. And, like, there's people in the parking lot. I'm like, hey, my son and I, we're VIPs. They're like, what's wrong with that guy? And we start to get inside, and I'm looking for an usher. Like, I want to see an usher. I want an usher to walk me to my seat. Like, I don't know what a VIP means, but I imagine in my mind there's, like, lights and confetti, and people are asking, you know, for my autograph. That's what I think a VIP is. And I find an usher, and I'm like, hey, I'm here. And he's like, good for you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a VIP. And he's like, oh, he's like, when you go in, just tell him, just tell him and show him your ticket. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a downer, but maybe it, the surprise is waiting inside. So we, we get inside, and I find another usher, and he said, oh, that means you get to sit closer to the front. And I'm like, really? I'm like, all right. So I still want to play it up for Jace. I'm like, Jace, we're still VIPs, right? And we go all the way up front, and they have it kind of roped off, and there's an usher there. And then it starts to feel legit again, because he's like got the headset and 
everything. And I imagine he's got a taser somewhere, but I can't see it. And I'm like, hey, I'm a VIP. See on my ticket? And he pulls out the flashlight. And I'm like, man, this is what I'm talking about. He's like, oh, yeah, you guys are VIPs. And so he opens it up. And we get to go up. And we're on the second row. And I'm like, Jace, we truly are VIPs. I mean, veggie tail, second row, come on. Best dad ever. <laughs> and then I get a text on my phone. And I'm like, oh. And it's a friend of mine. He's like, hey, Joe, is that you? I thought I saw you walk in. Which I'm like, he's just giving me an opportunity to tell him I'm a VIP. <laughs> and I text him back, and I'm like, yeah, I'm a VIP. I'm on the second row. And I send it to him. He's like, oh, great, that's cool. He's like, we got time, let's come say hi to each other. So I turn to Jace, I'm like, hey, you know, a friend of mine's here with his kids, let's go say hi to him. And I walk to the usher, and I'm like, if I leave VIP section, I can get back in, can I? He's like, yes, you're a VIP. Everybody here knows you're a VIP. <laughs> and so I walk, and I walk, and I walk, and I walk. My friend is on the very last row, like all the way in the back. Like, I don't even know how he saw me. I mean, I know I got a shiny head and everything, but still, like, I don't know how he saw me. And he has his kids with him, and, and there's like a row full of kids back there. And they're like, hey, how are you guys? And we start talking for a few minutes, and they start to blink the lights. And I'm like, yes, back to VIP land. Good to see you guys. And I turn to Jace, and I'm like, Jace, it's time to go back to our seats. And he turns to me, and he says, no, Dad, I want to stay with my friends. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> I'm about to leave my son on the back row and be a VIP all by myself out of it. <laughs> and so I get down on one knee and I'm like, Jay, you don't understand. Like, I spent $10 to be a VIP. <laughs> we got to go up front. He's like, Dad, I don't want to. He's like, please let me stay back here. Let's stay back here with our friends. I'm like, oh. And I, kinda, I wish I had those tickets still framed. Jace, you owe me $10, man. <laughs> Put those tickets in my pocket, and he had the time of his life. Like when we got home, he didn't say, oh, uh, we were on the very last row. He's like, Mom, I was with my friends. It was so awesome. And I kind of, I mean, it was the veggie tales. I did the best I could, but I was like, he's having fun, you know. And for me, that's a really silly illustration of what God's asking us to do. Yes, you are extremely important to God. Yes, you have an intimate relationship with him. You have free access to your creator God. Like that Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you. Oh my goodness, we call to God and he answers it might not be how we want or when we, but we, call, we have access to God to call and he answers us. We're very important to our Father God. But God really wants to kick you out of your VIP section and to go reach some people in maybe the dark corners to say, you're mine and I'm yours, but I need you to get out of this VIP section and get to work. Get to work. And in this story, this scandal demanded grace. Like it's presented at Jesus' feet. All he can do is kick him out or shout grace. That's his response is grace. And listen to me, let this be the hallmark 
of Cornerstone Church is that we shout grace. We don't cover up sin, but we're saying his blood covers that. Whatever brokenness is in our community, this is their house, isn't it? Whatever pain, whatever sin, whatever anger, whatever it is, we shout grace, grace. Jesus immediately says, you're forgiven. Whatever it is, is off of you. I mean, this is the power and the authority that we have in believers in Jesus Christ is to simply shout grace. If I delivered any other message to your kids on a Sunday morning, you should have me fired immediately. I stand up to those kids and I say, grace, God's grace is sufficient. No matter what sin you're struggling with, boy or girl, grace, right? That's what we would tell our kids, right? Your heavenly father is saying, those are my kids. You better be telling him grace. They're mine. I know they're not serving me yet, but they're mine. Tell them about my grace. Don't tell them to act right. Tell them about my grace. Stop waiting for grace to already work and the scandal to be gone. In the middle of their scandal, say, hey, you know what? Grace. Hang in there. Grace. His grace is sufficient. And God, I thank you for the opportunity today to once again have your grace God, I think in my own life, I cannot believe that you applied grace to my life. It's how we can sing a song like that and say, everything we're going through, it is well with my soul. God, I know that there are people in here today that say, I don't serve God. I'm not a Christian. I'm here. I love the scripture verse in Joel, and it's for you this morning. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And maybe you're here this morning and says, I have not even taken my toe and dipped it into God's grace. I would challenge you today, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to call on the name of Jesus Christ, to call on him today. If that's you and you're saying, I'm not a believer in God, I don't follow God, right now, I encourage you to just kind of pray God, we call on you right now. God, I pray for anyone in here right now who does not have a relationship with you. God, I speak grace over them. There is grace right now for them to begin a relationship with you. There's grace right now for you to completely change your destiny right now. God, we just call on you right now. God, I call on you. God, I call on you to be my savior and my Lord. I pray you would take the sin in my life and you would remove it from me. Just like you did this individual, this paralyzed man, you took his sins and you instantly forgave it and it was gone. God, I pray right now for those that are in here who need to begin a relationship with you. I pray, just like David prayed in the Old Testament, rend the heavens and come down, split the divide between heaven and earth and come meet us right now. And God, I pray as individuals and I pray as a church, I pray that you would arm us with grace. Grace would be like a weapon we would take it in every scandal in our community, every scandal in our family, my God, every scandal in my own life, every scandal in our nation and every scandal in the nations, God, you would put us out as people of grace. Say, I know it's a scandal, but here's grace. God, we're not gonna let up until we see our city won. We ask for a move of God in our city. 
God, we're not going to let up until we see our nation. God, the nations turn to you. So God, we ask for the grace to do it. God, we ask for the grace to share about your amazing grace. Focus our hearts, focus our lives, and move us in grace. And God, I pray. I pray for each and every one of us. God, I pray that you would put us in the middle of a scandal so that we could shout grace. God, what scandal? What scandal is in front of us? What scandal is around us that needs your grace? In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, come on, let's put our hands together for that amazing word. Man, this is so good.